0: Today's message is entitled "My Crazy Family." Now I'm not I'm not talking about my fa- I'm talking about your family. Your cra- I'm talking about my crazy family too. Okay, all right, we're talking about our crazy family. Now, how many of you guys have crazy families out there? Oh, whoo! I'm not just preaching to myself this morning. There's a lot of crazy folk in here, and you know what? If they're not, if your crazy family is not in here. You might be the crazy one. You just don't know it. Somebody needs to tell you something. Uh, we'll we'll talk after church. I'll see you down in the altar. But as we as we go into this, I I think that I think it's important to explore something for a second. As. You may be thinking to yourself right now that you have the craziest family here. Hey, pastor John, if you just knew my family, if you knew the secrets, if you knew all the stuff that I knew, then you'd say, yes, my, my family is the craziest. But I want you to know that being a pastor and sit in my position, I have the opportunity and not so wonderful opportunity sometimes to allow, to see beyond the curtain that some families draw. And I see inside the family, and I can see some of the hurt and some of the pain and some of the confusion, some of the heartbreak. I can see some of the difficulties that you've faced. And, and I want you to know that everybody's family is crazy. Some people just do a better job of hiding it than others. <laughs> and, and I want you to understand something, that what Satan would have you, would like for the The best for you is is to keep you thinking that you're all alone. That as you scroll Facebook and Instagram, as you look through it and you see all the vacation pictures and you see all the fun times and you see that somebody's got a raise or a promotion or graduated or you see the parties and all the new toys, all this stuff and you think to yourself, man, I wish my life was like that, but my family's crazy I just wish that my family wouldn't be crazy anymore, so I, my life could be like that too. But I want to remind you today that, that that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works at all. First Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 reminds us that the Lord, or that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. That's something that Facebook and Instagram can't take a picture of. It can't show you what's in the heart of a person, what's in the heart of a family. And so as you're looking and as you're feeling to yourself, I wish my family's just crazy. I want to remind you, they are. But so is everybody else's. So you're nothing special. Pastor Pastor John, (laughs) that's right. See, I want to let you know that no matter what, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. And today as we, discuss, as we discuss my crazy family, your crazy family, our crazy family, I think that we need to remember that Jesus talked about crazy families. He talked a lot about crazy families. As a matter of fact, one of the crazy families he talked about was the prodigal son. So if you turn in your Bibles with me, or you click on, follow our notes on on the Bible app, you can go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be starting in verse 11, and we're going to be talking about my crazy family in the prodigal son. We'll dive right into this passage of Scripture. Verse, Verse 11 says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. We're going to stop right there. You might be saying, Pastor John, why in the world would you stop right there? The story has barely started. Are you sure about that? Think about this. Just in these few lines, we find an opportunity to dive into the context of the culture that we see In in this passage. You see, because in just that little configuration of Scripture, we get this idea. You see, God said in His Word in Deuteronomy, we can go all the way back in chapter 21, verse 17. God has laid out in His Word how a father should portion his estate as an inheritance to his children. And we find out that that your first son gets a double portion because it's your first son. It's from the fertility of your youth. And then the, every son or every child after that uh, will receive a portion of that. So in this passage of Scripture, we automatically know that the first, the oldest child, the oldest son, should receive two-thirds of the estate while the youngest son would receive only one-third of the estate. And that's important for us to understand because this wealth that the father was giving over to his sons was supposed to stay within the family. They were supposed to use it to build on top of it so that they could have their family be even greater than they were right now, not to go off, not to separate it out not to go and do whatever they wanted to with it, but instead to keep it in the family and take care of the mother and take care of the servants and take care of the property and take care of the family and to use it to better their life in certain situations. As a matter of fact, it's important to understand that a a father should share, right, an inheritance with his kids. But that inheritance is supposed to be built on top of and not squandered. And that's the expectation. The other thing that we need to understand from this passage is that you just don't ask for your inheritance before your father dies. That's pretty bad. As a a matter of fact, it was so bad that it was as if that child, that son, was divorcing his parents. He wanted to walk away. This was not a pretty sight. We we don't see all the talk back, back and forth. We don't see the pleading in the beginning. We don't see the painful discussion. We don't see the yelling. We don't see the slamming of doors. We don't see the father breaking down in the bedroom. We don't see the difficult discussion between the father and the mother talking about the child that has disappointed them and hurt them in such a terrible and horrible way. We just see that eventually the father says, okay, and he agrees. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we don't really have to peer into that curtain. We don't have to see that because we know what it feels like. We know what it feels like for a child to disappoint us, for a child to hurt us, for a child in some way, shape or form to turn their back on what we've talked about, what we've taught them and go the exact other way. It hurts, it's disappointing. It's like a knife that keeps twisting in our hearts. And we ask God to take it out. We ask, I wish sometimes that I could just crawl into my kids and flip the switch inside of their hearts. Anybody ever want that? You you wish that you could just get in there and take away that hurt, that pain, whatever it was that caused that problem, that disagreement, that trauma in that kid. But you can't do it. You don't know how to do it. It hurts when we get things out of control and, and we don't know where it came from. Did it come from me? Is it something that I said? Is it something that my wife said? Is it something that we did? No? Is it a friend from school filling their head with poison? Is it, is it somebody online that's contacting them, that's talking to them? and changing their heart and, 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 and they've just fallen in love and they're running a, a, another way. We don't get that picture, but I, I assure you, something in that passage of Scripture is painting a broader picture of a conversation and of hurts and pains and disappointment in that father's heart. It was a bitter separation one of pain and sorrow. But I want to point out something that is very important to this parable. See, this parable, and by the way, for those of you that don't know, a parable is a natural story that teaches supernatural principles. It's a story that God uses, or that Jesus uses, to paint a, a heavenly picture for us in natural terms. And, and as as Jesus spoke this parable, we need to understand who the characters in this passage represent. And the first two that we see is the father and the younger son. And the father here represents God the father and the, the younger son represents, well, it represents you and I. You see, because the truth of the matter is is that if the father in this story represents God the father, then there's somebody in here right now that needs to lean into what I'm about to say because I'm gonna speak healing and truth to your life. If, if the Father represents God the Father, then that means that there are times in your life where even though you do everything right, things can fall apart. You can make every right decision And still, the kid gets twisted all around. You can do everything that you know how to do and not make one bad move and still experience heartache and frustration. There are families here that are all twisted up inside. And you need to understand that the guilt is not at your feet. But we live on a sin-cursed planet, and we face an adversary, the devil, who is looking for lives to wreck and ruin. And sometimes we look at ourselves when in reality we're facing a spiritual battle. I think that needs to be spoken over you, and we need to continue to pray. You see, this this is a bitter separation that they experienced. Luke 15, verse 13, we're going to continue to read. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. He walked away from it all. He turned his back on his father. He turned his back on every obligation, on every truth that he was told. He turned his back on everything and he moved the exact other way. This was a divorce. It was a funeral at home because the father had lost his child. He was dead. He had moved on from everything to do something that that he knew he wasn't supposed to do. He had been taught, he had been warned about, but the allure of sin was too great. I need you to understand something, that sin is alluring. You see, the Bible tells us that he spent his money on everything and anything that would immediately gratify him, while living prostitutes, parties, friends, living it up. He had, He drove the nicest car and he, probably not, he rode the nicest donkey, didn't he? That's right. You know, that first class one. He had the nicest apartment. He had the girlfriends. He had the job. He had the life. And that's, that's the difficult thing, isn't it? That's the difficult thing because the truth of the matter is that when we experience sin, a lot of the times we don't, as Christians, recognize the fact that sin is fun for a season. Sin, I've heard it said many times, will always take you through the front door but never show you the alley. You never see the heartbreak at the other end. That's always, that's always blinded to our eyes but make no mistake about it. There's a price to pay for sin. There's a heavy price. You see, it's not just the son that's guilty, but it's you and I. We're guilty of the desire to turn and run and to walk away from all of our obligations, all of our our commitments, all of the life that God wants for us. We desire to walk away from holiness sometimes. And if you really think about it, we feel sometimes as if holiness is an obligation that we owe back to God because God has done some wonderful work inside of our hearts. And although we want to live for holiness, uh, in a holy way, our mistake uh, is thinking that holiness is w- what God wants from us. But in reality, holiness is what God wants for us. Holiness is a reward that we get for following after God. It's a reward for living a right life. Holiness is the peace of, mind that no, peace of our mind that we know that we haven't done something wrong. We don't sit and, 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 and deal with guilt and shame. We don't face situations and circumstance with heartbreak because of a mistake that we've made. But instead, we can lay our head on a pillow at night feeling satisfied that we've done everything that God has for us. Don't leave anything on the table. Live your life in a way that exudes holiness because that's what God would want for us. But you and I, we are guilty at times. We're guilty at times of of wanting to turn around and, and walk away from what God really has for us. And we think to ourselves, maybe we fantasize what it would be like to have a different kind of life, a different kind of family, a different kind of situation, a different kind of job. When God is actually sitting there saying, this, what you are trying to run from, you're running from the blessing that I've given you. You're running from the wife that you fell in love with. You're running from the children that love you and need you. Those children are going to be a blessing as you invest in your life into them. Later on, they're going to bless you. Yeah. And as we, as we look at our life, sometimes we want something different. And we have this desire, this urge, this temptation to run, but it's a, we're running from the very blessing that God would have for us. You see, This is the very picture of what sin is, is running to something that God doesn't want for your life. As we continue to read, Luke chapter 15 verse 14 through 16 says, about the time his money ran out, my goodness, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. See, we we saw a picture of what sin is, but here's the picture of what sin does. We saw the temptation, but now here's the result. You see, the wages, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I I need somebody in here to know this morning that the thing that you're living in right now, the problem that you have right now, the sin that you have in your heart right now, it's got a price to pay. It's got a price to pay. And maybe you haven't paid it yet. Maybe you're even living in the moment and everything is wonderful and everything is fun and everything it seems to be going your way. But that's not the end of it. You see, life never turns out okay without God. Your life will not be okay without God in it at the center, at the core of who you are. You see, God doesn't desire to punish you God desires to protect you from making those wrong decisions in life. Those, you see, the devil, every time that you sin, will always attach a curse to your wrong behavior. But every gift that God gives you, there's no negative attachment. There's no weight. There's no problem. There's no burden attached to a holy life. See, that's why God gives us the fruit of his spirit whenever we live with him and for him. Those things are not bad. They're good. God gives us uh, wonderful things in our life. He doesn't attach anything negative with it. And I think that there's people in this place this morning that are struggling and they're trying to work things out on their own. And maybe you're living in that moment But I want to warn you that there's a price to pay. There's a consequence of your sin. And it always will end up hurting you and straining you. And eventually, it'll lead to hell. I'm I'm not trying to hurt you, but it's my job to warn you that as you go the direction that you're trying to go away from God, you may not see it yet. You may not know it, but it's there. Now, there are some people, I want to tell you, you're probably asking yourself, well, what about, what about the person that doesn't, is obviously living in sin and doesn't seem to be having any trouble in the whole entire world? Remember that passage of Scripture we read at first that God looks at the, the heart? And we see these, these celebrities, we see these famous people that make more money in their lives than you and I, or make more money in a year than you and I may even see in our lives. But watch their life as it, as it falls apart, as they go from relationship to relationship, as they, as they face struggles and they face problems in their life. Many of them commit suicide, many of them are still looking for that, that thing that fills the emptiness, that fills the void. There's no amount of parties, there's no amount of relationships, there's no amount of anything, that drugs, alcohol, anything that can fill that void Except for the relationship that comes from God through Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you're trying to fill your life and if you're looking for that thing, you've come to the right place this morning. Amen. Because He can fill your life. You see, any other way, it'll still be empty. Luke 15, verse 17, we'll re- continue reading. When He finally came to His senses, oh my goodness. What a powerful, powerful verse of Scripture when he finally came to his senses. He said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. That's one of the best moments of scripture whenever he realized in that moment that he was living away from God, that he was living apart from his father. And all he had to do, all he could do was run home. Every last decision was, had already been made. Every last opportunity had been explored. Every last uh, uh, hope was diminished. And all he had was looking back at how good he had it with his father. You can imagine the kind of moment he was experiencing, the kind of mix-up in his heart. He was running away from his father. But in that moment, all all he could do was look back and see that his life with his father was better. If he could just get back to being a servant with his dad, then everything might be fixed. It's kind of like, what a crazy family that I came from. I thought everything was bad, I thought everything was horrible, but I wish I would give everything that I, could, that I had to get back to that moment. And many of you are, are dealing with children that are struggling right now, that are maybe even in the process of making bad decisions with their life. But it doesn't just have to be children. We all have that, that person in our family that, that is struggling, that is making poor choices, that person that that is going in and out of the halfway houses or in and out of jail, that person that can't keep a job in in, in your family, The, the person that is struggling because you know that they've been taught better than that. But for some reason they have been so turned away from the church and so turned away from God that they're running as fast and as far as they can in order to get away. I need you to understand this morning, what I'm about to say is gonna sound harsh but there is purpose in the pain. What we need to understand is that God understands that there are some people that have to hurt in a horrible way in order for them to realize that they need to turn back to him. In this passage of scripture you'll find that the father didn't go into the country far away and search for his son. But the father waited and looked for the son to come back to him. The father wasn't writing checks to subsidize the the kind of lifestyle that he disagreed with. The father wasn't propping up that son in another business venture. The father wasn't wasn't welcoming the son back home uh, uh, in a moment just so that he could go back off again. Instead, the father was patient and prayerful and looked out from uh, from the home looking for the son. I think sometimes in our lives, because we see our children and we see our family in pain, we wanna go and we wanna wanna help them. We wanna keep them from, from the pain that they're facing because of the poor choices. But I need you to understand this morning that there is purpose in that pain and that God may be using that pain in order to drive them back to him. And that if we try and do everything within our power to try to help them avoid that pain, we could be delaying the very, perp- the very thing that God is using to bring them back to him. Church, don't step in between a lesson that God is teaching a person and that person. Don't get in the way of the pain if it's bringing them back to him. That doesn't mean that we don't have compassion, but it means that we have to use our understanding. We have to use uh, uh, are, are, are thinking in order to, to avoid stepping in and, and keeping a person from experiencing the own wages of the decision that they've made. Right. Because God is using that pain to bring them back to him. But then the w- most wonderful thing we'll find out in the next few verses, verse 20. So he returned home to his father And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. This is that moment. This is such a wonderful moment in Scripture because we see in the moment this, this beautiful coming back together happens, this beautiful picture of redemption. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. God is looking for that lost son. He is watching for him, he is waiting for him. But that father didn't go into the far off country, he's waiting for him right there. You see folks, we can't, we can't expect God To come and be okay with the way that we live, we have to come to God on his terms. We have to come to him. But watch this, the most amazing thing happens in the next scripture. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This is the only place in scripture where the figure of God is seen in a hurry he runs back to his son. He runs to his son. It's the God of all creation that created time and space himself, and he himself is seen running in a hurry. He can pull back time. He can make it go faster. He can jump in time and anywhere he wants. He doesn't have to jump because he's already there. But folks, I want you to know that the one thing that he doesn't control, but the one thing that he wants most of all is our hearts, our wills to love him and serve him. And whenever he sees a child that turns back to him, he runs to us. He runs. And it's important to see in this passage of scripture, the order of occurrence that, that happens. You see, he saw him a long way off. He is the father is filled with compassion and love. He runs to the child. The son, before he can get a word out of his mouth, the father kisses him. You need to see and understand here, Christ's legacy, that the kiss comes before the confession. You see, salvation occurs at the moment that the heart turns back to God. (laughs) It doesn't come when the, son, when the son begs and pleads. As a matter of fact, salvation didn't happen when the son was baptized. Salvation didn't happen when he bent his knee. Salvation only happened when he came back to his father and the father saw him. This morning you may be struggling trying to figure out the words to say to apologize to a God. You may be trying to figure out what you can offer back to God in order for things to be right with you and Him. You're trying to figure out what kind of deal that you can make. God, I promise I won't do this if you'll just take me back. But before you can even get the words out of your mouth, God is ready to take you back. He has compassion and He has love and some of us have the wrong kind of mentality about God as we come back to Him. We think that God is some kind of figure that is looking from a far off uh, place, ready to throw uh, lightning bolts at us when we make the wrong decision. That's not the kind of God that we serve. We feel like God is the kind of God that waits and sits in judgment and and is looking so so that he can scold you when you've made a mistake. That's not the kind of God that we serve. The kind of God that we serve is, heart is filled with compassion and love for you. And the moment that you sin, that's the moment that he's willing and ready to take you back. If you just turn back to him right now this morning. I I need somebody in here to understand that 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 the view that we have of God is so important because God desires to rush back to every child that falls away from him, every person that falls away. Luke 15, verse 22 through 24. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and, and put it on him. Get the ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf, and we, will be fat, uh, we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a, a, a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the, fa- so the party began. You see, the, the, the father didn't even wait for the son to get anything out of his mouth before he could begin to direct the redemptive process in his life. And I want you to understand that there's something amazing and powerful happened in, in this moment. And throughout this passage of Scripture, I As I was studying, I was looking for the word prodigal. But I never found it. I couldn't see where where prodigal was. And and so I I decided I needed to understand what prodigal actually means. So I looked up the definition of prodigal and I found it in Oxford's, uh, Oxford Dictionary. It says prodigal means as uh, spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wasteful extravagance, having or giving something on a lavish scale. And I realized something in this moment that there are two prodigals in this passage but one of them stands above the other. There's the prodigal son that spent lavishly and expensively in a far off country. But the prodigal that stood above them all was the father that lavished his love on a child. Spared no expense. And in one sentence, redeemed that child redeemed him, brought him back into the family. He restored his identity. As a matter of fact, that's what the robe symbolized. He clothed them with the the clothes of the family. He could be recognized as part of the family with the clothes that he wore. Family of God, make no mistake, that's why we as children of God are clothed in white without spot or wrinkle. That's why it's so important. He is clothed in family. His identity has been restored in this moment. Bring the sandals and put them on his feet. Sandals restored his dignity. Without shoes, he was a slave. But with those sandals, he was restored as a child. His dignity. Bring the ring, put it on his finger. His authority was restored. The signet ring, the family crest, is the thing that allowed him to conduct business as a family. It was the family seal. Who sent you? My father sent me. In that moment, in one sentence, his identity, his dignity, and his authority was restored. Somebody here needs to understand that God, in one sentence, in one word, can restore everything that you've lost, can bring redemption and peace to a broken heart and life that you haven't known in years. He can do more than that self-help book. He he, he can do more than, than that diet. He can do more than that that new relationship, he can speak restoration and all things will be made new. He restores it all. But in that moment God, uh, that God is doing all this restoration, there's also a party. And that's exactly what the, the fathers did. He, he threw a party, a fattened calf. How long do you think it would have taken to do that? Two, three, four hours? Four hours later, the whole family's together. They're parting. there's music, and there's dancing. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed a fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his return home. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've been a sl- I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, but this son, he says, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. There are two people that were unhappy about that brother. But I need you to understand something. There was bitterness in that brother's heart, in the life. This older son saw himself as the servant, not as the child. He was bitter about it because there was a celebration when he felt like he had been faithful all those years. But I wanna tell you the truth, folks. There wasn't just one son lost, there was two. Meanwhile, the father came out and saw his other son coming from afar off and went out to meet him family of God make no mistake you can attend church all of your life you can sit in the pew you can come down to the altar but if your heart doesn't recognize the fact that you yourself are a, a child of God that you yourself don't live in blessing then you can be just as lost as the one living in the far-off country You can be just as confused and living in just as much delusion. In fact, here in this picture, we find out that the youngest son is the only son that isn't delusional about the father's intention for his life. The older son has it all mixed up. And the father, you can hear the pain in his voice when he tries to beg his son to come in. Doesn't it hurt our hearts when our kids don't get along? Doesn't it hurt our hearts when our kids are fighting? Unity in the household is one of the most peaceful and wonderful gifts that God can give us. Enjoy it, folks. Unity in God's house brings peace and joy. So I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if the older son, if the younger son knew what the older son thought about him. Would the the younger son have come home to that? Would he have come home at all? Or would he have stayed away because he was afraid of being judged by his brother? I wonder sometimes if people in our community stay away from the church because they want the compassion and love of God, but they're scared of being judged by the children of God. I wonder sometimes if, if instead of welcoming and partying and celebrating children that are coming home to God's house, instead of opening the door to them, we're guarding the entrance. I think sometimes the younger or the older brother wanted the father to say to the younger brother, You can come in but you don't dance with us, you sit in that corner (laughs) and you think about what you've done. You watch us be happy for a little while. And then maybe you can be happy one of these days. Maybe the older brother was thinking, well, sure, you can be a child again, but after you pay the price, and as long as, as God loves me more, God blesses me more than he blessed you because you squandered it. But that's not the picture that we see here. That God has instantly redeemed, brought dignity and identity and authority back into that child and begs his older son. He begs his church to welcome them in, to bring them in and to celebrate with them. First John 3, 1, see how very much Our father loves us, for he calls us his children. That is the picture, not of a prodigal son, but of a prodigal father, willing to love extravagantly, willing to give generously, willing to restore completely in that moment And as Jesus tells this parable, what we find is that he leaves it it on a cliffhanger. We don't know what the decision of the younger son or of the older son was. We don't know what he decided. We don't know if he came in and if he came to his senses or not, or if he just sat out in the fields, looking at everybody partying in the house. I tell you the truth, family of God, I think that he did that intentionally because you and I, must come to a point this morning that we make a decision. We make a decision if we're going to guard the door or if we're going to open the door to hurting and lost community that needs Jesus. Would you stand with me all over this place this morning? In these next few moments, we're faced with a father standing at the top of his hi- at the top of the hill, looking all around for children to come. Maybe you're here today, and you've been living in a far-off country. You've been doing all the things that that have been pleasing to you. Maybe you're still living in in the sin, and you feel like it's fun. But you know that there's a price coming. Would you today recognize and stop in your tracks and turn around and turn yourself back to God? Come to Him before it gets bad? But maybe you're living here today in the middle of the worst time in your life and you've already hit the low point, or at least that's what you hope for. It's time to run back to Him. It's time to give your heart back to him with every head bowed and every eye closed i want to ask you this question if you're here today and you say pastor john i'd like to give my heart back to the lord i want to serve him again if that's you would you just simply slip up your hand and let me know that you're making that decision this morning i'm looking all around All around this place, you're making a decision to come back to the Lord, holding steady right now. Thank you. In this moment, as your head is still bowed and your eyes are still closed, perhaps there's individuals in your family that you'd like to pray for now. There's people in your family that are running away from the Lord and you just want so badly that would come back to Him. Right now, would you just call their name before the Lord? Ask the Lord to draw them back and to use you if necessary. Oh, Heavenly Father, I stand this morning my faith united with theirs. Lord, my heart burden for so many members of our family that are not here this morning I pray God that you would use the circumstances and situations in their life to draw them back into your presence into your redemption into your blessing father restore their identity and their dignity Lord restore their authority Lord I pray God that you would use them Lord, these families that are here, Lord, to to speak into their hearts and their lives. Lord, give them words to say, God, and the boldness to speak it with so that they may be used by you to draw them back. Lord, I pray, God, that you would make their hearts soft, filled with compassion and love. Lord, we love you. Hallelujah family of God right now our obligation our calling is very clear and simple you and I are called to be door holders we're called to open these doors to the community we're called to compel them to come in to become right with the Lord and Savior that loves them and is filled with compassion and love So don't for one moment judge someone. Instead, help them to come in. That's our calling, that's our charge, that's our challenge.